Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 66. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, we are talking real estate. We've got the CEO and founder of Realty Shares, Nav Athwal, on the program today. Now, Nav started Realty Shares over three years ago, and in that time, he has built it up into one of the leading you know, online marketplaces for real estate, sometimes uh, known as real estate crowdfunding. So I wanted to get Nav on the show, talk about the, the kinds of deals that they do at Realty Shares, talk about the kinds of investors they have. We delve in some detail into how they source the deals. We talk about underwriting, and we we also even mention the Lending Club saga and see what effect that has had on his business. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Nav. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's get started. Just give uh, the listeners a little bit of background about yourself and what you've done in your career up to your founding of Realty Shares. Great. So, yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of Realty Shares, and, and prior to founding the company, spent about a decade in the real estate industry. I started my career as a real estate broker. I was brokering deals in the Bay Area as well as Sacramento, and uh, then transitioned into real estate law. Uh, spent about three and a half years prior to founding the company at about a 200-person uh, law firm here in San Francisco, where I represented mostly institutional clients, public and private REITs, equity residential was a client, related companies was a client, so very large real estate players, helping them purchase and sell real estate, helping them get entitlements to construct new buildings. So really interesting work. And in, in, in that capacity, actually got my first exposure to startups when I helped uh, Airbnb and Pinterest get entitlements for their headquarters buildings in San Francisco. So really fun time, um, had quite a bit of exposure to real estate, something I'm very passionate about uh, as my career sort of speaks to. Right, right. So then when and how did the idea for, for Realty Shares come about? Yeah, so the idea first sparked actually after I graduated from law school. I started buying real estate uh, properties. It was a great time to buy, as you, as you know. It was uh, Properties were at historically low values coming out of the Great Recession, so really good properties to be found and purchased. The hardest part about getting a deal done in that part of the market was capital, availability of capital, both debt and equity. So mm-hmm. spending countless hours trying to circle up capital to acquire otherwise really good investment opportunities sparked the idea that efficiency of capital is sort of non-existent in the sub-institutional real estate market, deals that don't qualify for an institutional check and uh, a marketplace to provide that efficiency was something that was definitely needed. And, and that's when crowdfunding and the concept of crowdfunding was really catching on in the donation and rewards-based realm and, and was starting to take shape in the equity and debt-based world. So uh, it was it was something that, I, you know, was just a natural evolution from some of the pain points I experienced in trying to circle capital for my own deals. Mm-hmm. Sure. That, that, that makes sense. So when did you found the company? When did you sort of write your first deal? Yeah. So that didn't happen until a few years later uh, <laughs> because I first spent some time, uh, you know, playing lawyer. So right. it wasn't until late 2013 when we uh, launched our first deal on the platform. That was in the summer of 2013, actually. Um, so that, that's when we really kicked things off. 
And it was obviously humble beginnings and really kicked the platform into high gear in 2014. So 2013 summer was when we kicked our first deal onto the platform. Right. And so let, let's just talk about what, what kinds of deals you have, what what area of the market you focus on, you know, commercial, residential, uh, you know, fix and flip. What's the What's your sort of core business? Yeah, so when we first started the the, the company, again, the, the focus was where is capital markets for real estate most inefficient? Because that's really where we want to play. Yep. Where are banks not providing capital? Where is private money capital very expensive or very fragmented? So we launched, uh, when we first launched, we launched with two types of products. So one product was the fix and flip loan product. So that's something that you know, hard money uh, lenders would typically have provided before the creation of platforms like Realty Shares. Banks don't provide it because it's very short term and, and it's not something that they, they can securitize. So that was one product we we kicked things off with because of unavailability of that product type in the in the market mm-hmm. uh, as it existed then. So that that's the debt product we launched with. The equity product we launched with was for commercial assets. So if you think about uh, availability of capital markets. You know, debt for commercial real estate is re- readily available. Um, I think there's inefficiencies, obviously, in that market that can be uh, fixed, but but access to capital and access to cheap capital is definitely is, is something that's already there. But access to equity capital for commercial real estate and for the size of deal that we focus on, which is typically you know deals that are forty million dollars in total size or less, historically has come from friends and family capital. So this is you know raising capital from ten to twenty LPs that are in your immediate network, which is a very inefficient process and doesn't really scale with your operations. So that was the other product we launched with. So, um, you know, to go back to your question, we do have probably one of the more broader product offerings out of uh, any other player in our space in that we do offer both resi and commercial as well as debt and equity for both borrowers and and investors. And, uh, you know, we have plans to expand that product suite as we've developed sticky borrowers that like our platform, love the experience. We find that there's always opportunities to add additional products for those same borrowers that help them do their business better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So then let's just talk about some of the, like just talk us through a couple of typical deals that you've done recently, just to get an idea of, of what sort of, you know, what sort of properties you're talking about. Sure. So um, on the residential side, it's a little simpler. So for example, um, we recently did a transaction in the South Bay where uh, a flipper was looking to buy a property for a couple hundred thousand dollars, looking to put, you know, about $50,000 to rehab the property, improve it, needed uh, a loan for about 12 months. You know, we charged that borrower uh, about 9% uh, in interest and we're able to raise capital and close the deal for, for that borrower in about 10 days. And so the, the loan was both for the purchase of the property as well as the rehab portion. So we, we lend on both elements of the project. The rehab portion was held back and was uh, drawn down by the borrower as work was completed. Mm-hmm. And you know what, what we expect to happen on that deal, which has happened on various other deals that have exited, is once that rehab is completed, that borrower will then list the uh, property on the market and look for a owner-occupier to buy it with conventional financing. So that's a very typical transaction we'll see on the residential uh, debt side of our yep. marketplace, and we've done those deals all across the country in you know markets like Florida, Texas, California, Chicago, et cetera. The on the commercial side, a good sort of transaction, a good sort of sample transaction is a retail building we did in Las Vegas. So this was a about a ten tenant building in Las Vegas. Uh, one of the main tenants was a Chipotle. The operator was local to, to Las Vegas, was looking to buy the building for about uh, $6 million. It was bank-owned, 
you know, access to capital for that operator typically was coming from his immediate family members, and he was looking to expand the level of deal flow that he was going to do in that year, and so was looking to supplement that capital source. So we will, we were able to come in and, and raise about a million dollars of equity for that deal um, that took us about three days to raise and help supplement the capital that he already had. So they, uh, on the equity side, um, we can be a part of the equity capital. We can be the major LP. It really, we're very flexible, but that's a very typical transaction that, that we would do on the equity side. Okay. So then just I'm just curious about the investors then because you're doing a, a residential fit, fix and flip debt offering is very different to a commercial equity offering. And you find that, that, that certain investors have appetite really for one kind of deal or are they, or are they, they trying to diversify across all kinds of different deals? What, what are you seeing on the, uh, like the people that are funding these deals? Yeah, we're seeing we're, it's all over the board. I mean, we, we do have a uh, following investors that really want to just play in the debt space. So we, we, we have both institutional and individual investors using the platform. Mm-hmm. Most of the institutions that use our platform are interested in, in buying only debt. They want fixed income. They want shorter uh, maturities. You know, these are hedge funds, et cetera. And so they're playing only on the debt side. When it comes to the individual investors, all those investors today are accredited. So we're not catering to the retail non-accredited investor base yet. Yeah. Although, you know, something in the future to, that we are entertaining. So those investors, you know, again, they have various preferences. Some just like the short-term uh, high-yield debt product because they like the fact that there's a the maturity date that they know is going to uh, result in them getting their principal back um, rather than, you know, a more flexible maturity date as with equity. And equity also can be longer. It could be three to five years and that's typically 12 to 18 months. And we have others that like the equity upside. You know, as a lender, you're you're going to get your interest rate, you're going to get your principal back. But if the property outperforms, you're not going to participate in that upside. Mm-hmm. Whereas with equity, you will. So a lot of investors like taking a bit more risk in terms of cap stack exposure playing in the equity side of the deal, but getting that upside. And others love the diversification. I think one thing that's unique about our marketplace is that an investor can come on the platform and build a portfolio of, of properties that are in different markets, different operators, different product types, and different cap stack exposure. So we do have a pretty large percentage of our investors that love uh, investing in both because of the different characteristics of debt versus equity, commercial versus residential. Right, right. Makes sense. So let's talk about the deals themselves. Where where are you getting these deals? And I imagine you're getting them, I mean, a residential fix and flip is going to be a very different source as far as finding those people than a you know, a $10 million commercial building. What, you know, what, what are the avenues, what are the sources of deal flow for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it, the, uh, the customers, depending on if they're residential or commercial, are very different in terms of how we're getting, uh, getting to them. Um, you know, a large part of our uh, operators, borrowers, are coming actually from word of mouth. I think one of the most powerful things in real estate is, despite it being a massive market, there's uh, tremendous network effects because the community itself is very small. So um, as you grow your base of investors and borrowers, you do have the um, benefits of them referring other borrowers and other uh, operators to you. So we do get a large portion of our of our borrowers and sponsors from uh, word of mouth, whether it be from word of mouth of uh, other sponsors or from brokers or other stakeholders in, in the deal. The the rest of uh, our borrowers and sponsors come from you know digital marketing 
as well as conferences. So, you know, on the, on the Resi side, I think we do very well uh, with just direct response marketing, things like SEM, social, even some direct mail. On the commercial side, it's a little harder to get to those operators using SEM and, and right. social. So, you know, we do uh, there, we do have more of an outbound sales effort that we employ as well as conferences because, you know, a lot of the real estate conferences, the largest conferences out there, typically cater to a broad set of these commercial operators. And we feel that getting to them in those conference scenarios is easier than getting to them through a, a Google AdWords campaign or a pop-up ad on, uh, on you know, Zillow, for example. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so are you using brokers on the commercial side then? Is, is that part of the mix? Yeah, we actually use brokers on both sides. You do? Um, okay. It's sort of a still early stage for us in terms of integrating with brokers. It's something we're going to make a much bigger push towards in Q3, but we have started reaching out to brokers. I mean, every deal we do, I would say 90% of deals we've done has a broker on the deal. So it just naturally makes sense for us to form relationships with those brokers. We're not competing against them. We're raising the capital. They're closing the transaction. So if we can help them do their job, more easily and help their clients uh, get capital to close the deal, it makes sense for us to cooperate and work with brokers. So that is something we're going to make a much bigger push towards in Q3 and are developing a strategy to do so. But um, but even today, we've, we have used brokers on a handful of our deals. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I just want to talk about the, the real estate market or the, crowd, you know, the crowdfunding real estate market, I guess. You know, it's, it's still, you know, it didn't exist really five years ago. And, uh, Today, you know, I hear people say 75, 100 different platforms. Clearly, there's many of those that are small or barely operating, and you, you, you guys are one of the leaders. But I'm, I'm curious to see how you, how you differentiate yourself from, from the other platforms. Why do you know, deals come to you? Uh, why do investors work with you? What's the, what's your, what do you think is your differentiator? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. You're right. There's there's a lot of buzz around you know there being a hundred plus platforms. I think if you really look closely, there's probably you know five to ten that are actually operating and and and, and really are actually doing deals. So, um, but even amongst the ten, like how are we different? And and, and right. I think really one of the ways in which we differentiate ourselves is again that variety of product offerings. You know, I, I know a lot of our competitors and the players in the real estate space are focused exclusively on debt products. And I think that's fine, but debt is a relatively competitive product. And although there's gaps in the market where banks aren't providing efficient capital and where hard money is very expensive, generally debt is pretty efficient for commercial real estate. So we really, we really, again, wanted to provide a product that is going to eradicate a tremendous amount of inefficiency. So by providing that equity product for commercial, I think we have probably one of the most uh, captive base of sponsors because it's something they can't get elsewhere. Banks don't provide equity capital. That's a very fragmented source of capital through friends and family. Uh, but at the same time, we are also catering to debt. So, you know, we really see ourselves as a full stack capital marketplace where a, a borrower can both get debt and equity and an investor can get exposure to both parts of the cap stack. And I think we're very unique in that in that way. And I think there's only a few others that actually are thinking about Real estate crowdfunding in a similar with a similar lens. Um, so that's one way in which we differentiate ourselves. I think another way is just through the technology and product. So you know, I think we have probably one of the most high-powered engineering teams, led by our chief technology officer, who's been in the industry for you know 30 years. And I think ultimately the 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 way to scale this business is to use data and to really uh, build more efficient underwriting. Um, and that's really where you start building a uh, margin as well. So one of the things we're highly focused on is technology, technology improvement, both to make our job 
underwriting deals more efficient, but also to provide a better experience for our borrowers and investors. And then finally, I think, you know, one one of the things that we've seen with some of the larger marketplace lenders, and I think Lending Club, uh, despite its recent uh, troubles, did very well, is capital markets diversification. So thinking about the capital markets and, um, and, and onboarding investors that come from various industries. And I think Lending Club, up until recently, still had you know 50% of their investors coming from retail. And we think the individual investors are very important to what we're doing, but we also see the benefit of institutional capital. And we, you know, we have started working with institutional capital. So I think those are some of the ways in which we differentiate ourselves in addition to just the, the high caliber team we've been able to hire for the, for the company. Right. Okay. So I, I want to talk about Lending Club in a little bit, but the, the thought, before I, I want to go back to underwriting because you've got this picture on your, on your homepage that's, you know, it's a funnel that basically shows that you, you know, you go from, you go basically down to 5% of the deals being approved and listed on your platform. So can you just walk us through a bit about your underwriting process and, and how and why you're kind of, you're filtering out all of the deals that, that don't meet your criteria? Yeah. So I think one thing that's been thrown around a lot in, in fintech is this concept of proprietary underwriting. And I'm going to be the first to say, you know, our underwriting is now proprietary. I mean, we, well, we're not, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're trying to utilize the same basic principles that have been used for real estate and, and real estate underwriting for, for a century and, and looking to make, create efficiency in how those systems and processes work. So our underwriting is no different than sort of the underwriting process a, a BlackRock or a colony would do in, in evaluating a, a real estate asset. And, you know, and, and it just happens that a lot of our investments team and the leadership in our investments team comes from institutional real estate companies like BlackRock, like Northmark, et cetera. So we're using the same strategies and the same structures as, as some of the larger institutional players in the, in the industry. So the first thing we really look at when we're evaluating an asset, um, and this is even more important on the commercial side, is track record. Um, unlike in consumer where you're really looking at the ability to pay back the loan, the FICO, et cetera, the track record is very important in, in, in real estate, especially not owner occupied real estate, because the ability to execute successfully on the strategy depends on the sponsor's previous experience executing a similar strategy. So we want to know how many deals has that operator done? How relevant is this current deal to deals they've done in the past? Have they had financial success? Have they made money for their investors? So that's really where we first start, because despite how good the deal may be, if the operator is in quality, we're not going to do the deal. Mm-hmm. And then we really dig into the deal. So on the equity side, it really starts with looking at um, a whole whole host of uh, data points. So we start with an appraisal, an environmental report. We also get a financial model that will plug in assumptions into and to determine if the returns that the sponsor is projecting are actually reasonable. And we use both our internal data as well as external data tools to you know plug in our own assumptions. So we really get pretty granular into the deal through our um, through both our technology as well as our investments team that looks at each deal and, and underwrites each deal. And, you know, I think one benefit we do have is most deals in real estate where we're providing equity do have a commercial lender, usually a bank. And so we're able to actually piggyback off a lot of the third-party reports that the bank is requiring. So, that you know, bank will require an appraisal, a bank will require a phase one. So we're able to look at those same pieces of information when we're underwriting the deal for the equity component. So so it really, get, it really involves diving deep in the sponsor's track record, their potential for success, as well as the data points around the deal and the returns that can be generated for that specific property. 
And so, so you're finding that, that the deals are coming to you and is it, is it mainly the 95% that get rejected? Is it, is it mainly the sponsor that is the cause or, or is it the actual deal they're bringing you? I would say a majority of those deals are rejected as a result of the sponsor. Um, because even a, even a tricky or complex deal with the right sponsor could be very financially successful. So a lot of our deals are rejected due to sponsor quality. So if we, we think the sponsor just can't carry out the strategy, doesn't have the requisite track record or experience, we're going to reject that deal outright. And so a large portion uh, is, are, of the deals are or leads are rejected as a result of sponsor quality. But then, you know, we also have quality sponsors bringing us deals that we reject because the deal itself, you know, doesn't have the return requirements we look for or just isn't from a risk and return perspective worth uh, us doing and worth us listing on the platform. But I would say a majority of leads are rejected due to sponsor quality rather than property quality. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So, so now like you've been around, you know, 2014, you said you really got some starting attraction. I mean, particularly on the, on the debt side of your business, you must have developed a, a track record for, you know, delivering returns. Um, these, you know, many of these loans should have been paid back. What, how, can you tell us something about your, the loans that are in, you know, that you've had? If you had any loans go bad, what's, where, where's your loan book at today? Yeah, so loans by volume, lo- loans have been about 50% of our portfolio. We've had really good success with our loan products. Um, I think one of the differentiators with real estate is, uh, and real estate lending is you actually have a secured position yeah. with respect to the asset. We only lend up to a certain percentage, typically on an ARV basis, 65% of ARV. Mm-hmm. Um, we only advance a portion of the cap stack on day one. The borrower has to put their own money in the deal. And then you have a first lien. So if things start going south, and, and we haven't seen that happen uh, at Realty Shares, but if things start going south from an, you know, an inability of the borrower to pay or meet their debt obligations, you do have the remedy of foreclosure. So I think that does provide a large disincentive for borrowers not to pay the loan uh, as compared to unsecured consumer credit where you know you are just relying on the borrower's ability to pay. Mm-hmm. So I think we've seen good success, but we've also been in, in, in a relatively stable part of the real estate market or actually uh, part of the real estate market that's actually been appreciating. So when there is a correction, I think uh, underwriting quality will really be tested. And that's when it's really when, when the rubble, rubber will meet the road. But I think we're still taking uh, caution and, and, and underwriting deals and still building enough equity cushion on our debt product where even if there was a downturn and property values dropped, we'd still have enough cushion to at least avoid um, loss of principal. And I think that's one of the benefits of, of secured real estate lending and investing. Right. Yeah, that is certainly a huge benefit compared to you know, to small business or, real, or consumer investing. And so it's fair to say then that you've had you've had no loans, you haven't had to foreclose on any properties, you've had no loans that uh, have gone south on you. We've had a, a less than 1% of our loan portfolio where there uh, a some sort of default foreclosure remedy was, was required. So I, I won't say it's never happened, but it's right. been very, very rare. Okay. And in those cases, no loss of principal occurred. So there's, again, even when in the worst case scenario where, where there has to, where there is a default remedy that's um, re- uh, required in terms of our uh, required for us to take action on, there's been uh, principal pr- preservation. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's that's great. So then, well, and, and just give us an idea. Can, I don't know how much you're allowed, how much you're willing to share, but um, can you tell us some give some kind of idea of your volume where you're at today? Yeah. So we are 
around that 15 to $18 million of capital through the platform a month. And that's kind of what we're seeing on a monthly basis. You know, a year ago, we were, we were barely hitting seven to eight. So we've seen uh, our platform uh, double to more than double uh, over the last year. You know, I think there's a lot of things we're doing in terms of diversification of capital and technology product that will allow us to continue to grow that volume. But that's approximately where we're at on a monthly basis. And is the debt and equity growing roughly at the same rate or are you skewing one way or another? We are seeing both the, both uh, product types grow. I think the equity, given it's commercial, just tends to be larger in terms right. of per, on a per deal basis. So mm-hmm. we're seeing our equity uh, check per per deal you know exceed a million, whereas our debt is on single family. You're not going to see it go above a certain threshold amount. So it's a lot. It's almost a third uh, to a quarter of the size of the of the equity. So you just have to do a lot more units, but it's also a much more sort of commoditized product. So you can do more units through technology, et cetera. Then we're on equity where each deal is a little different. So I think there's pros and cons to both product types in terms of scale and scalability, but we're seeing both of them ramp up. Right, right. Okay. So, so let's just talk about investors for a little bit. You, you mentioned you have institutional investors. You've also got individual. Can you run us through the mix? I mean, what are the kinds of institutional investors that you've got? And also even for the individuals, we could talk about what the kind of people that are coming to your platform. Yeah, so on the let's start with the individuals because that's the investor base we uh, have catered to since the very beginning and mm-hmm. is really core to our business model. So again, as I mentioned, all these investors are accredited. So for for those listening that don't know what that means, that means that they have to have a certain income or net worth. The net worth has to be a million or or more, and the income has to be $200,000 or more. It's an either-or, not a both uh, requirement. So these are accredited investors. They're individuals mostly that are pretty much across the entire uh, country. And largest representation come from you know some of the bigger states like California and New York. Uh, we have a pretty broad, in terms of background, it's pretty broad. So we have you know professionals like doctors and lawyers. We have a finance people in the finance industry. We have entrepreneurs. We have tech people. So it's very broad because ultimately they're investors and they're looking for exposure to real estate and, and to generate returns off of real estate. So we're getting the same sorts of investors that would invest in the stock market or, or invest using a Scott trade account. And, you know, obviously that's a broad base of investors. Right. And, and, you know, the average check from investor through our platform on a per deal basis from the individual side is in that thirteen to fourteen thousand dollar range, so mm-hmm. our minimum is five thousand, but most investors are investing above that minimum. Right. So it's a very broad base of investors, mostly individuals using the platform directly that are accredited due to just regulatory requirements and limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, on the institutional side, most of our capital on the institutional side is hedge fund capital. Um, I think if you look at the history of most platforms, that's kind of where they get their start and then eventually evolve into into more sticky institutional capital. I mean, that's also our goal, but that's where most of our capital is coming from on the institutional side, as well as on the equity side, some of it is coming from family offices and, and small uh, funds. So that, that's sort of the distribution of investors on the platform right. today. Right. So, so I'm curious about, I want to talk about Lending Club real quick, and you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, Given that you know it's 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 been pretty um pretty widely reported about certain investors have pulled back from the space. I mean, particularly on the institutional side, I'm just curious whether you. I mean, are you benefiting from that, or are you, or is it, or are you seeing a? Because you know, as you say, it's you got you know secured real estate is a little bit less risky than unsecured consumer loans, and so you know, I'm just curious to know 
Is this helping you or have you noticed, have you have not noticed much uh, difference in the last uh, three or four weeks? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I don't see how one of the pioneers of the space going through such turmoil would help really any platform. Um, <laughs> right. you know, I think I think some platforms may say it's helping them, and I think they probably are not big enough to feel the, you know, I think large platforms that rely on heavy amounts of capital to fund origination growth are going to be outsidely impacted by Lending Club because they are likely heavily reliant on institutional capital. But smaller platforms and, and platforms that aren't heavily reliant on institutional capital, yeah, and I would qualify our platform as one of those platforms. I just don't think you're going to see the impact as being as great because uh, the way institutional capital behaves and individual capital behaves, and that's why I think it's important to have both, is very different. So, so I think I, I think it's I think we are probably unaffected. To, and, and if you if you kind of look at all the the data points, probably, we're probably unaffected. And we we've seen good growth with our individual base of investors. We haven't seen any of our institutional capital shy away. And I think one of the reasons is it's real estate. It's, it's secured. There's a tangible asset. There's third party verifiable valuations through an appraisal. So all those things help with this asset class as compared to consumer, where basically as an institution, you're allocating to very small loan sizes and relying heavily on the platform's underwriting. So if anything starts going uh, in the wrong direction, you're going to start questioning that underwriting without really an ability to verify yourself. So I think real estate does benefit from that. But I think generally at Lending Club, obviously, is was the pioneer of this industry. I think they've done amazing things. So I don't think I don't see how, you know, the things happening at Lending Club have made it easier for anybody to any other platform to to really grow uh, and, and and continue to exceed expectations because I think it's a hit to the entire industry, but I do think real estate and real estate marketplace businesses like Realty Shares have a unique asset that is very different than the unsecured consumer product that do give it, give it a leg up in terms of uh, investor appetite as well as an ability to uh, ease some of the concerns that uh, unsecured consumer products may be creating as a result of some of the things happening with Prosper and Lending Club. Mm-hmm. Right, right, sure. So before I let you go, I, I got to ask a question about interest rates because I was uh, having my lunch today and catching up on my reading, and uh, I saw an article that you wrote uh, uh, for Forbes about interest rates. And so I'd, I'd like to just uh, get your perspective about you know interest rates, you know potentially rising later this year. We've already had one increase. We may get a we may get one uh, later this month. We don't know. But Regardless, I, I wanted to get your perspective on what you think uh, a rising interest rate environment, what impact it's going to have on you guys. Yeah. you know, When I was writing that piece, I, June being a time for another rate hike seemed more plausible just based <laughs> on some of the commentary. Right. But you know, you probably saw the, the jobs number yes. was missed, and I mm-hmm. doubt it will happen in June. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think the piece, what I, what I was tr- really trying to cover in the piece is what happens to the marketplace lenders. There's been a lot of talk from um, – Skeptics that you know marketplace lenders will they'll lose some of their competitive advantage, um, and some of that competitive advantage for platforms like Lending Club and Prosper is cost savings to the borrower, you know, as compared to credit card rates, et cetera. But I think you know what that those skeptics miss is the fact that when the Fed funds rate goes up, the credit cards rate will also correspondingly go up, and so by Lending Club or, or Prosper moving their rates up as a result of the Fed funds rate. Uh, increasing, it's not really going to destroy or eliminate their competitive advantage from a cost standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when rates do go up, it also means the economy, um, again, you know, as we saw, the, the Fed will likely not raise rates this month because the job 
a number was missed. If the job number had been exceeded, I think we probably would be looking at a June hate rate hike. But that would also mean that the economy is, is, is healthier. And that means the borrower's ability to pay, income levels, et cetera, all are probably also going up. So I don't think that necessarily also means there's going to be higher defaults just because the rates are higher because the rate hikes take into account the health of the economy. And I think the health of the economy also impacts default rates, et cetera. So I, I do think the, the skeptics in terms of the competitive advantage being destroyed due to a rate hike or defaults going up due to a rate hike are overblowing the scenario because I think those those things will keep uh, – a rate hike will not necessarily destroy the competitive advantage because you know uh, rates for credit cards will also go up and defaults will not go up because the economy will be healthier. So that's kind of my – you know, main point there in the in the article you you read during lunch. Right. Okay. Sounds good. So, last question: Just what what what's what's up next for Realty Shares? Are you what what are you looking to do next six twelve months um, into next year? Yeah, I mean, our our, our focus is really uh, there's there's three main parts of the business we're highly focused on. You know, one is uh, capital markets diversification, continuing to add a broad base of investors to the platform. Uh, so that's one strategy we're, we're employing. We're even starting to look at foreign capital markets because there's a lot of foreign appetite in the domestic U.S. real estate. So that's you know one thing. And I think the reason we focus on that so strongly is, one, is you don't want to be susceptible to just one part of the cap markets, as we've seen with some of the larger platforms and with some of the uh, investors pulling out. I mean, two is, as you broaden your base of investors, you also are able to provide varying products to your to your borrowers. So I think it helps fund a broader set of deals as you uh, diversify that that capital. So, um, so you know, in line with diversifying capital, we also plan to roll out additional products. So to date, we've mostly just done that single family debt product and commercial equity. And I think there's a lot of potential to roll out, roll out a small balance commercial debt product that we haven't really rolled out yet, as well as additional products on the single family side, including a term product. So that is another focus of ours. I and mean, then continuing to really focus on credit and underwriting. You know, as we've seen with some of the stories as of recent credit and underwriting, you know, deal volume and ability to deploy capital is what gets investors to the platform, but performance and how deals end up doing is what keeps them on the platform. So I think really underwriting, uh, continuing to evolve our underwriting to make sure it's taken into account where we are in the in the cycle to minimize defaults and issues is, is really what's going to uh, make our platform healthy over time and, and is going to make investors want to use our platform, not just the investors that we have today, but also a broader base of investors that may be looking at the platform but aren't ready to take the uh, a dive into it just yet. Right. Okay. Great. Well, on that note, I'll have to let you go, but uh, I really appreciate chatting today, Nav. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Peter. This was a pleasure. Okay. See ya. See ya. So for my investment portfolio, I have certainly got a, a decent amount of holdings in the unsecured consumer credit space. I've got some in the small business space, but I really haven't had much in the real estate space, and that's changing this year. I think from my perspective, and while I can't, don't consider this investment advice because I don't know your particular situation. But from my perspective, I think it's a good idea to uh, diversify into, into real estate. Now I've got, you know, I own my own home and I've got a, a second property, but what I don't have is diversification among many different geographies and different kinds of deals. And this is what the real estate platforms provide today. And the fact that they, uh, a lot of these platforms are, 
doing loans with fairly low LTVs where you can protect your principal uh, at least to some extent, I think it's a, it's a very compelling offering today and I think something that I am going to be uh, you know diversifying into in the near future. So on that note, uh, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye.